but it's it's a slower journey and also I've seen myself as being on that person's side so if we find the dark cave and they feel a bit stuck in it I'll be there with them just sort of sharing that experience with them feeding back what it might feel like for them and you know, if we, we might need to stay there for a bit. It might just need to be what they need to, without rushing out of it. Mm. Or I might offer something that comes up for me that might be helpful, but it's very much for me like this is what I offer. You don't have to take this. Yeah. And actually it can be helpful if you let me know it's not helpful. So it's perhaps a, a slower journey and you might get a bit stuck. Welcome to Season 2 of Do Good and Do Well. My name is Sarah Fox and I'm a life and leadership coach and founder of the Do Good and Do Well community. And this is a podcast where we explore how to be a changemaker without losing yourself. Let's get to it. Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode. How are you today? I am thrilled that finally I am sharing an interview with Sasha Jenkin with you. Sasha and I have tried doing this interview before but we had an issue with um, the recording so this is our second version. Sasha is a friend of mine and she is a qualified therapist and we often have chats about therapy and coaching and so I wanted to get her on to share that with you because I think it's a question that often comes up for people when they're thinking about what kind of support they need. So Sasha studied art history at university. Her first career was working for the Tate Gallery and publishing houses. She then retrained and qualified as a therapist in 2003 and since then has been offering talking therapy in various environments from blue chip businesses to government agencies and charities. Sasha has a particular interest in the symptoms of trauma and the dynamics of power and control in relationships and how these are all interconnected and she hosts a podcast called the validation lounge in which she explores self-worth with various self-help professionals so here's our chat Hello, Sasha, and welcome for the second time to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Hello, and thank you for having me. (laughs) Um, The second time. Yeah, so we've checked all of our settings, and we're hoping that this is going to be good and working. So for everyone tell them about you and what you do what would you like them to know okay so I'm a therapist I have a particular interest in the symptoms of trauma and um, the dynamics of power and control and how those are kind of intertwined and I've recently started training in internal family systems therapy so I'm a bit I kind of, I'm actually a little bit obsessed with it and I've been really immersed in it lately with, because that's actually with a lot of therapy, you have to do a lot of work on yourself, a lot of therapy training, it's also important that you work on yourself. So that's been a big part of my life lately. I started off working in the arts, um, worked at the Tate Gallery and then I was just looking at it, it was around 1997 actually that I decided that I wanted to train as a therapist and um, yeah, so I've been 
in and out the therapy world since then, training and working. Um, also had a little bit of a break to have my son, who is now 11. And I have a, I have my own podcast. You were my first guest, which mm-hmm. is great. Thank you. And that's called The Validation Lounge. And it's about self-worth because one of the things that I realized working with clients, but also for myself, is that it's something that's so important, but it's so difficult, I think, for many of us to, to find that kind of that feeling of self-worth. And what I thought would be interesting and what I discussed with different therapists and talking therapy practitioners is how we can work on that and and I talk to the practitioners also about their own experience of, of, of finding self-worth and yeah I hope that gives you enough mm. about me <laughs> yeah what do you love about therapy what do you love about the work that you do I, I just I love people I'm so endlessly fascinated by people I have been since a really young age I used to like read the, the problem pages in Jackie magazine <laughs> that's just been an ongoing part of my part of my life really and I just yeah I, I find it a real honor to, to to be allowed into people's kind of inner world and to share with them that with them um, and I learn from my clients as well I, I'm, I'm learning all the time so yeah I, I love it and I love I love I love the theory as well. I find it so sort of fascinating thinking about the theory. Um, but ultimately, it's it's about it's this connection with the people. And sometimes I have to really sit with that when the theory might be getting in the way. It's just like then I just sit and be with this other person, sit with them, and and what's coming up for them and for me. Mm. Yeah, I think that really resonates with me actually sometimes with my clients it's a it's holding that space for them and for them to be seen and heard and with coaching I think similarly to therapy we can talk about this in a minute but there's lots of models that you can use and there's you know there's lots of um, kind of techniques that you can share and, and all of that kind of stuff but ultimately it's about listening and yeah. and and creating a I like to call it a brave space you know as well as a safe one a brave one to yeah just be heard and seen so Absolutely. it's a good, really I, I really like that reflection actually on sometimes we don't the theory is important and of course it informs our practice but Mm -hmm. it needs to be held quite lightly in many ways Mm. absolutely and I think that also for me what's really important is that I feel safe for my clients and that's different for everybody and I can't make that happen because someone might not be feeling particularly with trauma Mm-hmm. often the world can feel unsafe but that's that's really important and just sometimes I just I just really think of it like being loved you know I really love my clients mm-hmm. and I have hearts that are like oh that sounds over the top but it, it really is like that you know I really do feel the love for my clients so that's what mm-hmm. when, when, when I'm in that kind of zone without the theory it's just like a real pure connection 
Mm. I'm not sure if that's something that maybe that's if that feels if that comes up for you or not in coaching or yeah I think well it's an interesting one probably one I will go away and think about but I think you're right but I wonder whether it's not you know I think when we when we say the word love it has all sorts of connotations and I think as you say if we take it in its kind of purest form in that it is a connection with another human being and Barbara Fredrickson who's a who's a psychologist said that love is micro moments of connection Mm, and I really like like that that. because what she talks about is that you can have these moments of love with other human beings that isn't about you know a long-term relationship it's not romantic love it's not parental love and, and all of the other types of love it's those moments where you connect with another human being so I I love that idea of you're walking around the town or something and you know imagining these little sparks of love as people make eye contact or they open the door for each other or I don't know they share something and 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 a a nice thing is created from that so I totally get what you're saying about that space between a, a let's call a professional and the person who's coming in to get that support yeah what I'm interested what what because you said that you uh, started off in the art sector and then decided that you wanted to train as a therapist what uh, why was that very lucky I got a job at I did art history at university and then I got a job at the Tate Gallery and I was there for actually almost 10 years and it was amazing the scene and what I'd hoped to do was I, I was working kind of in um kind of like fitting, I fitted the telephone system for the tapes and eyes and got the furniture, stuff like that. That was very kind of practical. And I was hoping just to get my foot in the door and to then work more with Mm -hmm. the art. But what I noticed is that a lot of the people that that were doing the kind of jobs that I would have been interested in were quite, and this is a a sweeping statement, this is young me, but it seemed to me they were quite more sort of introvert, like the, the main relationship that they had was with, the artwork which is wonderful but what I also had worked out as I kind of went into the world and I was working is that I'm a real people person mm. so I I think I can I am also quite introvert but I do really like working with other people and so it was just I real I was realizing that it wasn't really for me and that I might feel kind of almost quite lonely with the art and then I had therapy I was unfortunately um, I split up with a guy and then he started harassing me quite badly and to cut a long story short the good friend just said to me um, you know everyone's going to tell you how to to cope with this but I'll be using you know what's been helpful for them why don't you see a therapist because they'll be there for you so I had therapy it was really helpful actually for me and I thought oh I'd quite like to do this <laughs> and I mentioned it to my therapist who was like yeah I think you would be good at it which was almost like oh great I kind of gave me permission like the positive stroke so yeah and that was it so it was it was um kind of working out that people are what really kind of feed me and having my own therapy and seeing what you know how powerful that relationship was for me to to have someone you know there for me and to really listen and help me work out what I needed to to sort of extricate myself from this relationship that had ended but also to feel more my
myself going forward. Mm. Yeah, more yourself going forward. I think that's mm. a really lovely phrase. I, I have therapy and not because I'm in crisis, but because of that, I want to get to know myself. I also have a coach and a supervisor and like yeah. many other people in my support system but for me the therapy is uh and and you know maybe I think this is the different the key difference for me between therapy and coaching is that in my therapy sessions I'm often looking back and digging quite deeply into where behaviors might have started and the impact that certain experiences I had have on me right now and my my beliefs and my decision making and we explore a bit of that in coaching but the coaching is very forward thinking it's about okay so what's next and how do we get to where we want to be and how do we want to be in life and yeah. what are the steps that we need to take and so there is a bit of looking back but it's also very much about forward f- being forward focused yeah. would you agree with that yes I, I do agree with that well and I think coaching can be really helpful and I, I do use some coaching exercises with my short because I do short term and longer term work and in the short term work I can do coaching um, exercises can be really helpful for that reason because what we're doing is quite there's, there's something like there's a destination we want to get to which we decide at the beginning mm. um and yeah I kind of when I think about the difference between coaching and therapy I, if I think of it like with my clients I feel like we're on a we're sort of navigating terrain together and I think perhaps with coaching you might decide at the beginning like we're going to get to that point over there and I'm going to help you find your way there as a coach but with, I think with therapy that perhaps we still have a, we do have like a, a destination of, you know, maybe finding our more authentic mm. self or finding you know, less anxious times. But it's more, it's a slower journey. And also I will be at that person, I see myself as being at that person's side. So if we find the dark cave and they feel a bit stuck in it, I'll be there with them just, mm sort of sharing that experience with them, feeding back what it might feel like for them. And, you know, if we, we might need to stay there for a bit. That might just need to be what they need without rushing out of it. Mm. Or I might offer something that comes up for me that might be helpful, but it's very much for me like this is what I offer. You don't have to take this. Yeah. And actually it can be helpful if you let me know it's not helpful. So it's perhaps a, a slower journey and, you might get a bit stuck <laughs> mm, yeah Sometimes. yeah that's I think that being in the cave or I talk about being in the ditch and I think it's mm. important to recognize when you're in the ditch and uh, from my my approach is that we don't want to like grab you out of that ditch really quickly you know it's no, not about this no. constant positive thinking and yeah. moving yeah. you know be more positive and all of that it's more okay we're, let's sit in a ditch for a bit and what's next you know and how mm. can we how how can we maybe how can I support you as your coach to get out of the ditch and and start your travels again and what do you need in your backpack in order yeah. for you to get yeah. to where you want to be and um and I think one thing you just said around permission is so important I think to both relationships that permission to for someone to or sorry, the coach or the therapist asking permission to offer 
you know so yeah. as a coach I would say I have a reflection can I offer it to you um or you know whatever it is but it's because then what you're doing is it's the coachee or or the clients and in control they always or or you'd hope they all I mean I think it's a it's also that's a whole other podcast about power (laughs) and yeah which you can see me like there's a little like oh yeah yeah the thing that I struggle with is that I want to really be able to help you know that's something I've Mm. had to work on is I'm a bit of a rescuer I'm a bit of a people pleaser and so I have to leave my rescuer at the door because that's not my job my job is not to rescue and solve the problem my job is to support the coachee to find out how they want to move forward and with what tools yeah yeah, I mean, always when we talk, there's so much that's coming up for me around what you just said. Some people want to be helped, sometimes, and sometimes, I mean, so what came up for me was maybe also the difference between therapy and coaching is perhaps that we might be exploring shame more in therapy. And by shame, I mean, I mean, some people will call it a feeling, but of actually feeling that there's something bad about us. So the mm-hmm. difference between guilt and shame are very linked. Guilt is when we've done something, some a behaviour that we feel bad about. Shame is actually feeling inherently bad. I have something wrong with me. Yeah, I am bad. I am bad. Mm-hmm. And for some people, being particularly people that have had difficult, have sort of traumatic experiences or relationships where there's been power and control, not being given answers can be shame-inducing. Such as having, like, I worked for a domestic abuse agency and one of the first things that I was told was not to have too many silences because silence can be shame-inducing because someone might have been in a relationship with a, a, a parent or a partner who will sulk and it can be really intimidating. Mm-hmm. So that's me going off on a tangent. But I think, you know, I guess, and I'm sure you do this too, it's like we both have, our own toolkit of skills mm. that we can draw upon and, and we'll, we'll work out with our clients, you know, what, what, what do you want? What is helpful for you? Yeah. Um, it's really important that that, that, it, that, it, that we work our way, you know, on our little paths that we're navigating together, what, what's going to help them and, and really mm. hope that our clients can tell us if it's not okay and it's mm. not helpful. Yeah, so I subscribe to, like, there's like a global code of ethics for coaches because coaches, the coaching industry is not regulated, but there are various member associations that you can be part of. And one of the really important parts of that is being able to recognise what a client might need. Mm. And in some instances, that might be actually coaching relationship is not what you in my opinion what you require right now I feel like therapy or whatever might be a better option and so it's really important for coaches to understand what else is out there because it's that offering it's not saying I think you should go to therapy but it might be I don't think this relationship is working and actually one of the things you might want to consider is therapy here's a list of therapists or you can find a therapist here I mean you have to be very careful with that but I think it's so important so I was just thinking when you're talking about shame that if 
if these things are really coming up and if they're really holding a client back from being able to for want of a best word move forward then you know there there's probably needs to be some work done there that I'm not qualified to do that's not my and actually I don't that's not what I want to do either so yeah it's navigating the ethics of this kind of work as well yeah yeah Sasha mm. what does this is my <laughs> my question okay. what does do good and do well mean for you okay so for me the first thing that comes up is well there's a couple of things I think when we come into this profession I, I also have a part that art that really want to help people and, and, and sometimes rescue and I have to be careful with that and I think it so what can kind of come up is, is, is being able to take care of ourselves as well it's like that kind of balance of, and also why, who am I doing this for? You know, I think, I mean, I, I've had a lot of therapy and I can, I'll always be in and out of therapy because it's the sort of thing that I have to be aware of myself. So I have to, you know, be really, it's, I have to really think about if a rescuing part is coming up um, and, and whether, you know, and keep that in check and actually check that, you know, that's my stuff. So there's that. I think there's a lot of people that work in, for example, um, sort of nurses and people that work in the emergency services I've actually worked as, as a counsellor supporting people in those kind of environments and it does often there's the, the wounded healer which is someone who has quite a lot of has grown up with quite a lot of chaos and trauma in their background and it means that they're they're sort of interested in replicating that in their work life and um what can end up happening is that people can give so much that they end up burning out. So burnout, I think, is what comes up for me a lot, mm. thinking about that and how important it is to to be, you know, to take care of ourselves. You know, it's a self-worth thing. Again, actually having clear boundaries. Mm. You know, boundaries are things that we talk about a lot in, in my work and it's like, you could only give as much as you could give to yourself. You can't keep giving and giving. Um, yeah, that's a bit of a roundabout answer, but mm. one of the things I talk to my clients about, and I guess I have to think about for myself, is you can, you know, it's that, that sort of metaphor of when you're on the plane and having to take your own oxygen first. You've got to, in order to take care of others, you've got to take care of yourself. So, yeah, and I think particularly at the moment, I think there's a lot of burnt out people, mm. so many, with everything that's been going on over the last, and you know, with the boundaries have been so affected the last year with everything, it's just, there's so much anxiety, so much, so much struggle. Mm. It's almost like the norm. I mean, it's been wonderful as well because people have kind of, I think, have come together, but... Um, yeah, that's what comes up for me is how important it is. If we want to do good for others, it's a wonderful thing. But we also need to, in order to do well, I think we need to take care of ourselves. Yeah, all of the things you've just said <laughs> are so important. I think there is that really understanding why we are driven to do good in the first place and where that comes from yeah. because that has a massive impact on the doing well mm. and one of the things that I've been talking a lot about recently is this 
this idea of you know well-being is mentioned all over the place we've got you know we need to improve people's well-being and yes of course we do but it's more than offering your workplace a lunchtime yoga um class or it's it's like we need to be thinking about the systems that exist where people can really look after themselves properly but also so I think there's a kind of system part of it but also there's an individual part of it in terms of our we all know what we should be doing (laughs) it should we all know that we need to be drinking more water we need to get regular breaks from the computer screen we need to get up and move our body it's you know it's common sense we know it we've been told it for a really long time yet we still don't do that so many people don't do that and I really feel like it comes from the self-worth piece in many ways that the self-talk and really believing that we are worth looking after as much as other people yeah it's like you couldn't it's not just talking the talk is it it's actually something on a more deep level and that's kind of why I've that's actually fundamentally what drew me to internal family systems therapy because in in if so with that way of working is when we have these parts so we have parts that know what we should be doing but what we would say is that we have other parts that sabotage that mm-hmm. and that you know in the past I would be working with clients parts and we'd just be kind of banging our head against, you know, obviously it would be helpful, but sometimes there might be self-destructive parts that just wouldn't stop doing what they're doing, however much the other parts knew what they should be. Um, and it's because all parts think that they're helping us. So if I think about my internal critic, so I have an inner critic part that a lot of us have that tells me to do things perfectly or get critical of me if I haven't done something right or might even say people are going to be judging me um and that I can you know I can work on that and work on that but it's still you know it's still there and what I've worked out is actually it thinks it's helping me that it's it's it thinks it's helping me because when I was little I stuck my neck out to, to to do something that was risky and I and I, I got laughed at. And so that young part of me has stuck there thinking that it's, it's dangerous to, to make that risk and, stick in and do something that's risky and it thinks it's helping. Does that make sense? It makes total sense to me. <laughs> yeah. I do some work uh, around positive intelligence, which is a similar theory, I think, um, in that we all have the judge he talks about it's these saboteurs we all have the judge everybody has a judge and then you kind of have your associate saboteur and it's different for different people so mine is very much about or used to be very much about people pleasing Mm -hmm. you know I would gain love by pleasing others Um, and sometimes victim you know I know victim can be quite has been quite high up in my experience as well in that if I'm victim that's how I get the love and then the judge is there saying oh you're not good enough what are you thinking and I suppose it's that note is it's the noticing the voices can be really useful when when they're coming up so in positive intelligence they talk about kind of 
being kind but being assertive with your inner critic with your judge with your saboteur and saying ah you know I know you're there and I'm not going to listen to you today and sort of creating creating almost like a character and I did some work around menstrual awareness recently Mm. and they talked about the inner critic as similarly to what you were saying in that they're there trying to protect you and to serve you perhaps rather than telling it to go away um yeah in maybe not in such polite terms but actually be generous and empathic mm-hmm. to your inner critic yeah, and it was absolutely. it was a really interesting perspective yeah definitely and that's that's actually what we call those like the inner, inner critic would be a protector the protecting it's learned to protect a little young one that, that had that experience that it was just too shameful to 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 stick their neck out and, and say something that was risky and the key is just to be kind to the protector to thank them mm. you know for working so hard for us all our lives you know how much we appreciate them and um you know and ask them what they think is going to happen if they don't do their job and then that's often what you find what they're afraid of that the little one's going to be hurt which we call exiled the young child is going to be hurt for taking the risk to, you know, stand up in front of someone and do a speech or, you know, someone where they're going to be judged, something like that. And the key with internal family systems is to is to, heal, to help heal, to, to let the protectors know, to heal, we heal the exiles, we actually go back and heal them and then the protectors don't have to do their job, but it's, it, it can take some time because they've yeah. been around a while and they don't always trust that. But, and, and it is incredible that how much it can help. But, mm-hmm. but just that shift of, I think, even just saying, knowing that that's the part of us, you know, the inner critic is a part of us, it's not all of us, and it's a part that might get triggered and we might blend with in particular situations, but it's not all of us. And also just being kind to it can create a big shift in our sort of internal system because it's, we would have spent a lot of our life getting really annoyed with it, you know, yeah. and then it will just hunker down because it thinks it's helping. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's so fascinating. There's so many questions that I want to ask and talk about because there is, I have to say, there's a part of me that is, my little inner critic is on my shoulder right now Mm -hmm. saying, what will people think of you talking about this kind of work because I think that's part of me that maybe in the past thought oh is that that very very quickly and I think that's the um the useful part of this work is that we can't necessarily solve it overnight but we can practice being really aware of what's going on yeah and one of the things I was thinking when as you were talking was around the subconscious as well so you we can notice what's going on in our brain you know we can in many ways it's easier to notice the thoughts but I think sometimes we're so disconnected to our body and what our body is trying to tell us Mm -hmm. which is that kind of subconscious piece which I'm I'm still on a journey learning about but it's like how can it's all of it isn't it as you say it's like that is one part of the puzzle that in a critic there's so many other bits as well and how do we get better at connecting to those well, and, and I think one of those things just said is one of the answers. It's something that I've been really noticing a lot more and trying to work with is how disconnected we are from our bodies. And one of the things that we do in internal family systems is when we 
rigidity of going inside. We ask, is there anything going on in our bodies um, that is that is trying to communicate something to us? And if you sit and ask our body, even it can be a pain, it can be a particular sensation, and it, it's quite amazing what can come up. But also, it's just incredible how, well, I know I'm so, I have been so disconnected and so in my head. Yeah. Um, almost like they're two separate things. And it's like something I have to work out, I have to practice that, I have to practice breathing, inducing, I, I can hold my breath. I've noticed that something that I do, I just do it without. Yeah without realising, you know, I have to really remind myself to breathe, to ground myself and feel, well, how, what's going on in my body today? Hang on a sec, my shoulders are up by my ears. <laughs> I'm really oh, yeah. sweaty. How did that... <laughs> I'm just sitting still, yeah. I'm like, you know, you get really, you can get really hot, mm. can't you? You don't notice it Absolutely. because you're so in your head. Yeah. And there's a as a coach for me I've had to really there are times when I know that I'm really leaning in and getting quite so in the zone I have to notice that and then physically sit myself back physically relax my body so that I'm in a I'm in a different space for my clients because that intensity can be wonderful it can be it really um helpful but it can also be we can end up being a bit blinkered as well mm. sometimes I think that's part it's that thing of being able to just hang on a sec and I think particularly if someone's bringing something that's really cooking it might be something that hooks us because of our past or it might be yeah. something really interesting or and 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 that's wonderful having that kind of connection but also I think what our clients come to us for is to have that meta viewpoint you know and be able to, you know, have that kind of um, objectivity as well. So one of the things that I've been learning a lot about lately is the difference between empathy and compassion. Mm. So I was, my first training was in person-centered counseling and empathy is one of the core conditions. Um, So this for me is a big shift um, because when we are empathic, we are able to put ourselves and others, we do our best to be in someone else's shoes. However, we use, a different, we use a different part of our brain, which means we actually can even feel the pain that someone else feels. And that's, yeah, that's great. And we can go in and out of that with our clients, the therapist, that can be really helpful. But also, that's also what can lead to burnout, because if we keep giving and giving so much of ourselves that we're feeling someone else's pain, we can't do it forever. So compassion can also be helpful. And we use a different part of our brain where we're more objective. We're not actually, we're still feeling that kind of, you know, love of what we talked about before, really that caring and that connectedness and that curiosity. But we're not actually then also giving a part of ourselves so much that we're actually feeling that pain. Mm -hmm. I have compassion that I think when part of what can happen for clients that come to me is that they might not want to talk to people around them because they're afraid of their empathy because it can feel like because they might worry about burdening them they might worry about particularly mm. with trauma when you talk to someone about a trauma it's most it can really reach we can trigger you back to that trauma and so it can induce shame in us and it can be difficult to know how the other person is going to respond so the hope is that with a, a therapist that you can have that you can feel safe enough to talk about that difficult experience but without having to I mean some people will still worry but you know that's what I'm trying I've, 
I'm trained to be able to really hear this without taking it on too much and to be able to keep that objectivity, mm. hopefully from a kind, caring face and to, yeah. you know, to be able to say things like, well, oh, that sounds, you know, to put them in my, myself in that sounds awful, no, really awful. Whereas when they talk to someone, you know, it, become, it can become about someone else's stuff as well, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think that's why it's so important that we are able to connect to our body because our body is giving mm. us signals as to what, the processes that are that we're going through and when we might need to step in lean in a bit and when we might yeah. need to lean out and being able to um you know because in in a sense when 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 we when I think about coaching or therapy, any of those kind of services it it's on the surface quite simple you're two people in a room together one person is talking and the other person is listening and offering reflections and support blah, blah. yet there are so many things going on in that space yeah. and really as the the therapist the counselor the coach the even the mentor to a certain extent being so being aware of what you're bringing into that room that space it's so crucial that that's definitely what I've learned over the last year is and, and how to manage that makes, all of that. Yeah, and that makes me think about just recently I've been reading. Oh gosh, I think it, it's um, Deb Dana talking about the autonomic nervous system and polyvagal theory. Yeah, and how much, particularly if we're triggered, it's harder for us to read facial expression. So. If someone's talking about something traumatic and difficult, I have to be quite careful about. I have to, you know, if I if I if I kind of express myself in a way that that isn't quite right, that might be perceived as threatening or too sort of patronising, it can be really misread. So I have to be really careful about. There's so much, like you say, there's so much that can be going on, mm. and that ongoing training I mean I think I'll, I'll ask you um about this in a second but I think for the for, for people out there who are listening who are thinking about you know asking for this support getting support whether it's coaching or therapy mm. I think one of the things that I would say is look at that the that person's training are they are they having regular supervision are they Absolutely. are they a member of an association are what are their credentials because this ongoing it's so important for us doing this work to be constantly reflecting and thinking and and looking after ourselves so that we're in a good space to support yeah. properly if people are looking for a therapist what mm. would you suggest I, I would also, I, everything that you've just said, I think is really important. Um, so the, the, the accrediting bodies, for there are more than these, but the ones, the main ones that I know are the UKCP for psychotherapists and the BACP, which are for therapists and counsellors, which are the accrediting bodies. So in order to be accredited by them, you have to have a certain amount of experience and training and you have to continue with that supervision. I would also say, Actually, I was just talking to my supervisor about this recently, and we both agreed that it's so key that a therapist or a psychotherapist and even a counsellor has a lot of their own therapy. 
because I feel like you just have to keep working on yourself. I have to keep working on myself. Um, a big part of my work is using me. <laughs> So it's important that, I mean, I'm never going to know me inside out, but I can do the best I can to know myself. Um, And then I would just, I think it's difficult with finding someone because you have to sort of, you have to have the first session in which you're going to open up a little bit and you might not want to keep doing that over and over, but it is worth shopping around. Mm. Be aware that someone that's recommended might be good for a friend but not someone that you know but not necessarily for someone else because everyone's so different I mean it's like friends isn't it everyone's different people be mm. or just people generally you just get on with some people more than others I would say trust your gut um you know even if you pick even on the first phone call and you speak to someone there's something that doesn't feel right do you trust your gut they've done a lot of research into what's the best or most helpful type of therapy or counselling and there's nothing that particularly stands out but if you have uh, a good relationship and you feel that you can trust your therapist then you're likely to find their relationship helpful that makes total sense <laughs> to me well I, I need to ask you what's the difference between therapy and counselling that is a good question <laughs> and it's a very hot topic at the moment I can't call myself a psychotherapist because I haven't done a psychotherapy training but I so I did so I had done a lot of training um so I call myself a therapist the difference is I mean there's a big overlap so I would call, when I do short-term work, I call it short-term counselling because it's more um, limited and we're working on something usually in the here and now, something that's going on right now, and we've got a focus. Yeah. Therapy, and of course, that, you know, your past, your childhood is going to likely to come up, but we're not in short-term counselling, we're less likely to delve into that. In fact, it could be dangerous to do that and then to have it to end suddenly, yeah. you know, particularly if someone's had issues around loss. And then therapy is usually a lot, psychotherapy is, therapy is usually longer term and involves exploring the past in more detail. But there are a lot of overlaps. Looking mm. for that and you're not quite sure, well, should I, should I have counselling? Should I have therapy? Do I look for a psychotherapist? And I'm just thinking about in the coaching world and... You can be a life coach, transformational coach, embodiment coach, leadership yeah. coach, executive coach. There, there's very a lot of descriptive words, and and so it, it and it kind of relates to, I guess, the problem that people want to solve. I think can be helpful, but also just can add to the total confusion about yeah. Well, what is a coach in the first place? It's really interesting to me to talk about it because. I- and I, I actually would like more. I mean, I did ask, I did a little poll on my Facebook page with non therapy. I've been so in the counseling and therapy world for such a long time, it's hard for me to know what it's like for people that haven't got that experience. So I did a little poll on my Facebook page, and that's what came about. Most of them, I don't know the difference, and they just want someone, you know, that, that's going to that's gonna be helpful for them. So, yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it's difficult. I mean, if you want to, so the counselling directory has really good pages on all different types of ways of working. 
So if someone was confused about that and they wanted to get a feel for how someone works, um, that's a good place to go just to they give a good description of all that. that. Because it can have an impact. You know, someone, for example, who, well, actually, I, I have to be careful because, I mean, I can only talk for myself. I was just about to say something about a particular way of working and then, but, uh, yeah, and yeah. someone might say, "Well, I, I don't work like that." <laughs> yeah, I guess the key thing is 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 to do your research and yeah. not be afraid to keep looking. Yeah, you know, and to find part. yeah, find the yeah. right person. Um, Sasha, how do people find out more about you? How do they f- listen to the podcast? Tell us all the things. Yeah, I don't know if I caught... Yes, my podcast is called The Validation Lounge. And um, if you Google that, I have a website which shows you all the different places. You can get it on all the main platforms. I'm listed on the counselling directory at the moment. I have, I'm just working on my website. So I do have one, but it's quite basic but there will be a newfangled jenkins.com <laughs> same old me but with all the internal family system stuff on there oh and i'll be listed shortly will be i did my training with the iss institute and so i will be listed with them shortly i will put all the links in the show notes so people can find you and thank you thank you for I mean, yeah, I, as always, I could talk to you forever about this stuff. I think there's so many avenues of thinking, aren't there? But thank you for sharing your time with me this morning. Thank you for being super Sasha, as always. Oh, well, thank you for being you too, Sarah. <laughs> All right, take care. Thank you for listening to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. I'm Sarah Fox, and if you've enjoyed this, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. It really does help. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and you are welcome to join my Facebook group called Do Good and Do Well, which is a place of support and inspiration for changemakers. I help people to do good in the world without losing themselves in the process by focusing on and understanding the way they feel about themselves, the way they look after themselves and the contribution they want to make in the world. If you would like me to help you focus on doing good and doing well, please book a free 20 minute call. And if you haven't already, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter too. All the links are in the show notes. But most of all, take very good care. care.